I'd like to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 10. And if you have the Bible app, uh, you can open that up and you can go to the menu. You can uh, look for an event near you, and uh, you ought to be able to find one for Kerbinsville Alliance that can be helpful to you uh, as you follow along this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 10 is where we'll be briefly. I want to uh, ask you something this morning. Actually, I'm going to ask you about your walk with God. I want to ask you about your relationship with God. And I want to ask you this question. Do you ever feel like something's missing? Do you ever feel like, like maybe God has something more for you, but something is just keeping you from getting there, keeping you from moving to that place? Do you ever feel like um, in your walk with God that at one time it seemed like you were consistently walking up, but now it's kind of plateaued? And you know that there's more steps, and you know that there's more up to, to navigate, but you're not navigating it. It's just not happening for you. Something is stopping you. Something is holding you down. Maybe like a lid on top of a pot, and that which is in the pot would like to get out. Um, but there it is. It's on top of you, holding you down. I felt that way. Today at Kermansville Alliance, we're starting a new series. It's a series on lids. I mentioned it to someone a week or two ago, standing in the lobby, and they said, you mean like mason jar lids? I said, yeah, kind of, kind of. I want to talk to you, though, as I begin, I want to talk to you just about this concept of, of lids this morning. I, I first heard this concept 20 years ago. I was at a, a seminar on church administration. The speaker, a man named Maxwell, was talking about something he called the law of the lid. And he spoke for about 30 minutes concerning that. Let me tell you how I remember him explaining it. He said that your effectiveness in whatever you do will be limited by something, by a lid that keeps you from going to the next level. Now, whether we use the term lid or not, we've all seen lids. For example, you see them in sports. Maybe you knew a kid in high school who just did really well. He excelled on the football field or in basketball or another sport. And and then he went to college on a scholarship, a sports scholarship, and he led the team there. He was just like the star. And then, you know, wow, where's this going to stop? And then sure enough, when he graduated from college, he went on to the next level and he was on the farm team or he was on a practice squad or whatever it is. And that was the end. You never heard that he went any further than that. He hit his lid, so to speak. And a lot of times lids don't have to do with what you think they have to do with. For example, you might think, well, that's where his athletic power just kind of fizzled out. He came to just the end of his athletic skill. That's not always the case. Can you think of an athlete right now (laughs) who is incredibly talented in uh, maybe in the NFL as a receiver and he's sitting at home tweeting, right? So your lid isn't always related to what you might think it is, but it exists and it holds you down. You can see lids in the Bible. You could probably look at many, many, many Bible stories and find lids there. I think, and the one we're going to read about today is, is King Saul, the first king of Israel. He had a lid, maybe he had multiple lids, that prevented him from being who he really could have been. Now, you find the, the story unfolding. We're just going to look at maybe three verses of it today in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And what's happening there is Samuel, who's the prophet of God, He is choosing for Israel who will be the king. And and the way he's choosing, well, let's read about it. It's right here, starting in verse 20. It says, when Samuel had Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Here's what's happening. There's 12 tribes of Israel. Samuel has each one of them come up. Tribe of Judah, you know, you name it, tribe of Levi. All these tribes come up one at a time. 
And this is how I, I would understand it. He's looking for a yes or no. Is the new king in this tribe God? Is he in this tribe? Is he in that tribe? And, and when he gets to the tribe of Benjamin, by lot, it says, that means he's rolling like a dice. God says, yep, it's this tribe. It is the tribe of Benjamin. So now he has all the other tribes stand back and the tribe of Benjamin is there and he divides them up by, by clan, kind of by family clan, each one of them. And well, look at verse 21, it says, then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. There it is. Well, we know it's in this group of people. This small group of people is where the king of Israel is. Which one is it? And finally, again by lot, it says in verse 21, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. So we know the choice. Saul has been chosen sovereignly by God to be the king of Israel. But look at verse 21, the second part of verse 21. It says, but when they looked for him, he was not to be found. Does that not seem odd to you? That the guy that God has in mind to be the king wouldn't even be there evident among the people when God is choosing a king. And it kind of reminds me, you know what it reminds me? It reminds me of the sportsman's banquet when we're giving away the rifle at the end, you know? We say, ticket number 121, he went home. <laughs> Dummy, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I feel like, man, where is he? It just seems odd. So they inquire of God, the very next verse, verse 22. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. Really? Really, this guy who's going to be the king of Israel is hiding among the luggage that we brought with us to come out into this encampment and choose the king of Israel. And by the way, he is a head taller than everybody else. What's he hiding for? And you know, there's probably a lot of reasons he's hiding, but I tend to believe it was the obvious one. He was afraid. He's afraid of what it meant to be king. He was afraid that he might be chosen king. He was afraid of the whole situation. He just didn't want anything to do with that. And his fear was a lid. And you can see his fear. You can see him acting in fear over and over and over again in his life. A lid that prevented him from being the spiritual leader he might have been. Now, there are a couple different kinds of lids. First, there's the kind of lid that you think of as an external lid, you know? Uh, An external lid is due to the circumstances around you, due to things in your life that are outside of your control. Things that, that you may be able to overcome, but that's a different sermon series to overcome those. They don't have anything to do with you. They're outside of you. And your external lids, things that are outside of your control, outside of your sphere of influence that are holding you back, I'll just tell you this. The place to begin is prayer in terms of that. I can't control what's happening with that couple in the Middle East who are being flown home because of a medical thing. I have no control in that situation, but I can pray about it. You might think in parenting, like when my kid is little, I could control a lot, but now that they're, man, There's just no control. There's a lid that has been placed on my influence over that child because now she's out there. What do I do? You pray. External lids, that's not what this sermon series is about, but I'll just give you this for nothing. Just pray. The kind of lids we're talking about here are internal lids. Things that are going on inside of you. Things that you own. Things that are a part of you. Maybe they're things you've struggled with since childhood, since adolescence. Maybe there are things that were handed to you by a family member. Maybe it was due to a traumatic incident that happened to you in the past, and now you just can't get past that, and you see that it holds you back in other areas of your walk with God. It's a lid. Maybe you just gave up on your walk with God, and that's your lid. 
it's really important to recognize <laughs> that it's very easy to see lids in others. <laughs> Look at that guy's lid. <laughs> He's got a lot of lids over there. And foolishly, we tend to do that. We, we point at other people and see their lids without seeing our own lids. But they're there. And unless you become aware of them, they will always be there. And they will cause you problems. Even small lids, for example, the hunter that doesn't have the patience to sit there until the game comes by. Last time I hunted for deer, it was over at Chuck's Kim, Chuck Kim's place when he lived in the woods. What did I last? Maybe 45 minutes, an hour, Chuck? Maybe 90 minutes, right? I'm like, ah, I just don't have time for this, right? That's a lid. My impatience with nature <laughs> and with the game coming by, that's one of my lids. It's not real important, but it's there. Sometimes it's more important. More important context might be the student who has heard from the teacher all her life. You know, you have so much more potential than this. He's heard all the time, if you would just apply yourself. But he's never made it a habit to study. And he isn't making it a habit to study. And that's a lid. And he never gets the grade that he wants to get. Wow, all the teenagers are looking down right now. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> you see it in really important places. Listen to this sentence. You see it in really important places. The husband who behaves like he's still single in high school and makes his number one priority getting to the next level in the Xbox. I see that. That's a lid. And his relationship with his family will suffer. I see lids all over the place. I'm really good at pointing them out in others. I can see them in myself. And a question I have for you as we prepare for communion is what lids do you have that might be holding you back in your walk with God and becoming the man or becoming the woman that God wants you to become? And I want to share with you the, the lids that I hope to consider over the next several weeks when we're together. As of now, there are eight of them, eight that kind of caught my attention, maybe merit your attention, eight that have held me down from time to time, and sometimes I still struggle with them, eight that might be holding you down. Now, you may not resonate with all these lids. You may say to yourself, yeah, I don't know, maybe number two and number seven, and number eight a little bit. That's Okay. You may, as one woman, when she walked out of the early service, say, I got all eight of those lids, right? Maybe so, maybe so. I wouldn't be surprised. You may say, I don't think I have any of those lids. You might want to look again. You might want to look again. So let me roll these by you this morning as we prepare for communion. The first of the lids I'm calling the nearsighted lids. Don't blame Maxwell on these. These are all my own thinking from God's word and my experience, life experience. The nearsighted lid. This week, I was having coffee with a pastor friend of mine. The two of us were sitting there together, and it's the first week of the new year. And so he says this to me. He says, Steve, what are you looking to accomplish in 2020? What are you hoping to see God do in your life? And literally, watch my nonverbal. Literally, I went like this. I looked at the floor. And then I kind of looked out the window. <laughs> and then I kind of stared at my coffee. And then I looked up at him and said, I got nothing. I hadn't even thought of it. So New Year, I've been really busy with Christmas, been really busy with funerals, been really busy with a lot of other things. I hadn't even thought of it. Hmm. Wow. That would be a lid, right? That would be a lid. Failure to look ahead, to look toward the future, to look down the road of time, that's going to cause you a, a little bit of a problem in your spiritual development. 
If you have no spiritual plan, maybe you're like Calvin, not John Calvin. Sorry, Presbyterians always want to hear from John Calvin. This Calvin merits just about, just about as much affection, though. Calvin of Calvin and Hobbes. You love Calvin, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have the copyright, so I can't put it on the screen to you, but I can read it to you. Hobbes uh, looks at Calvin and he says, are you making any resolutions for the new year? And Calvin says, yeah, I'm resolving to wing it and see what happens. <laughs> and Hobbes says right back to him, so you're saying, of course. And Calvin says, yeah, I stick to my strengths. Hmm. So think about it. Let me ask you. Have you set any spiritual goals for 2020? Have you thought about your future? Are you looking at who you are and who you're becoming and who God wants you to be? Because I want to suggest that if on the first Sunday of the new year you haven't given that any thought, you might be looking at one of your lids. Maybe you're a little nearsighted and you're not looking farther down the road. Here's the second lid. I call this one the rear-sighted lid just because I think it sounds clever and works with nearsighted. This is a lid that gives, in, in which you give more attention to the past than you do the future or even the present. It might seem like a strange lid, but I've got to tell you, I've seen it again and again and again. If you have this lid, you have this persistent tendency to look at the past gazing into your rearview mirror, and you kind of long for the good old days. Oh, I long for the good old days when, you know, Andy Griffith was on. That was good television right there, you know. I do. I love Andy Griffith. You might feel a sense of disappointment with the world you live in. Oh, things these days. And your place in it. I'm not sure where I fit in here. You might have a fondness for past generations, and that would be a good thing, except you sense in yourself a fondness for past generations and a contempt for your own. Hmm, that's a problem. And even if you wanted to move forward and begin to appreciate today's life and today's blessings, you kind of feel like it might be disrespectful for you toward the past generation. Now, if you're sitting here saying, I just don't get that lid, then maybe that's not your issue. But if it's like, uh, that kind of feels like me, that might be one of your lids. The rear-sighted lid that is always longing for the past and never really giving any attention to today. If you have that lid, how will you possibly live effectively for today? Here's the third lid. The lid of envy, the covetous lid. Envy destroys, you know. Ask Cain and Abel. <laughs> envy put one of them in the grave and had the other one banished. Envy's not a good thing at all. And the Bible speaks graphically regarding uh, the tendency to be envious of others. In Proverbs 14.30, for example, it says that envy rots the bones. Envy. By the way, envy and covetousness is not just about wanting what others have. It's a more deeply seated feeling that's inside your being that has to do with comparing. It's not just that I really wish I had his rifle, but it's that I'm always comparing my rifle to his. How's that, you know? It, it comes out in, in thoughts like this, like, how does she find a time to keep her house so clean? My house is not near that clean. Why does he have that land and I'm living in this apartment? Why don't we ever get to take vacations like that? How come I don't have a truck and he has a truck? Why can't I sing like Pastor Steve? <laughs> I don't know why that was funny. 
That was really funny. Man, I've been getting it from everybody this morning. I deserve it, though, after that email I sent, don't I? How about this? Why can't I sing like her? Why can't my children behave as well as her children behave? You see, if you find those thoughts invading your thinking, then you might be struggling with a lid of envy. Here's another lid, spiritual pride. You're a pretty good driver? I think I'm a pretty good driver. I think I'm a better driver than 99% of the other drivers out there. Probably not. I had a buddy who, who was a math nerd. You know math nerds, right? And he was fond of saying this. He, he, he was like me, tells the same stories over and over again. And he said this to me. He said, you know that 90% of drivers believe that they're better than everybody else at driving. And then he said, that is a mathematical impossibility. 90% of drivers can only be better than 10% of drivers. It's the math. Now, don't ask me to explain that because I don't understand math, but I do get it a little bit. (laughs) That kind of thinking, when you feel like you're better than others, it can act as a lid in kind of some odd ways. If you feel like you're a better driver than everyone else, then you'll probably be a little bit careless at the wheel because you can text and drive. It's not an issue. You're better than other drivers, right? And if you feel you're a better Christian than everyone else, well, you get it. Spiritual pride prevents spiritual growth. And you probably know people who have even quit going to church because they felt like, I don't have anything else to learn. That's a lid. The Bible says this. It says in 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and gives favor to the humble. And you might think from that passage that, yeah, younger men need to submit themselves to the elders and they need to be humble when they do it because spiritual pride is a problem for younger, younger men and younger women. Those are the guys who have that problem. No, no. Speaking as a younger man, I had that problem. Speaking as an older guy, I have that problem. Spiritual pride is not limited to what your age is. It can be a lid on an older man or an older woman as well as a younger And you probably won't see this lid on your own, by the way. Because pride, it brings a uh, a real blindness to your life. And so when we take communion and the elements are being distributed here in a few minutes, you're going to take and say, God, I need you, Holy Spirit, to show me which of these lids belong to me. Because some of them I'm not going to be able to see on my own. So Spirit of Christ, please speak to my heart and help me to see the lids because I don't want them. I want to know what I have to deal with what you can free me from. The lid of second guessing. You know what this is, right? It's a, yeah, but what about, it's that lid, you know? It's the lid that kept my father-in-law from buying stock in QVC when he had that big 15, 40-foot satellite dish in his yard. Remember those huge things, right? And QVC was being born, and they're out there saying, we're selling stock, it's really cheap. If only, he would say a couple decades later, if only I'd put $1,000 in that. The thing that kept me from doing that was a lid of second guessing. Well, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work out? The Bible speaks about this in James. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God and he'll give it to you without holding back. But then it says this, it says, the person, the person who, I'm sorry, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That person is double-minded and unstable in all he does. That's the lid, indecisiveness. Here's another lid, spiritual laziness. There was a woman, uh, that I knew years ago, who had this phrase. She would say, you know, every Christian ought to be saved and sanctified. That means Jesus has forgiven your sin because you're trusting him 
and Jesus is cleansing you, separating you from saved and sanctified. But way too many Christians are saved and satisfied. Huh. And so we become kind of spiritually lazy. Now, I'm not talking about contentment when I speak about satisfaction. Godliness with contentment is great gain, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. I'm talking about satisfaction that causes your spiritual life to become stagnant. That's a problem. That's a lid. God says in Jeremiah 29.3, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me half-heartedly. Well, that's not what he said. He said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. You can't be lazy about it. And by the way, the inverse is true. You will not find me if you do not seek me with all your heart. It's not going to happen. If you aren't seeking God with all your heart, this might be your lid. Number seven, the lid of spiritual pretending, spiritual pretense. Pretending to be something you are not. I hate this lid. I hate it when I see it on others. I hate it when I see it on myself. Jesus didn't think too much of it either. You brood of vipers, you hypocrites, he would say. That's spiritual pretending. He says, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. You need to be careful to do everything they tell you to do, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. That's a lid of spiritual pretending. Listen to this. That lid of spiritual pretending, when you begin to spiritually pretend, it kind of holds you down. And the more you pretend, the more it holds you down. And the more you pretend, the heavier it gets because you have built a false platform that you must maintain. And it's a lid. It will hold you down. If you feel like your faith is heavy, like a ball and chain. If you feel like sometimes you just need a vacation from being a Christian. If you feel sometimes like, like serving the one who took your burden is burdensome, you might have found your lid. Ask God about it during communion. One more lid, the lid of fear. This is the most repeated command in Scripture. Do not fear. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear holds people back in a lot of ways. Well, I was offered that position, but I was afraid that, you know, I always wanted to ask her out on a date. But I was worried that, you know, I thought about going back to school, but I was a little concerned that, do you see how in all those cases, fear is a lid? It just puts a lid on it right now. Fear is a lid. <laughs> it holds, holds us down, holds us back. It holds us back spiritually. Fear for asking for prayer, fear about volunteering for that ministry, fear of sharing your faith. What if I tell that boy that I am a Christian and I have these standards, he might not like me anymore? Fear. Fear. It's a real lid. So these are the eight lids. Now for the sermon. <laughs> you thought you were going to go to communion and get out of here. You're here until the playoffs are over. Sit still. <laughs> I got to tell you the most important part. The most important part. Maxwell, the guy I heard speak 20 years ago about the lid, he did a way better job of explaining what lids are than I could ever hope to because he is one of the most accomplished public speakers you'll ever listen to. He's just a great speaker. But in my opinion, he left something very important out of the speech that he gave when I was there. He left out the cross. See, the old-time preachers, <laughs> they used to tell us young bucks when I was a young preacher. They would say, what are you preaching on, Steve? I said, I'm preaching on marriage. Huh. What'd you preach on before that? Uh, I, I preached on parenting. Oh, okay. What'd you preach on before that? Uh, I did a series on the Ten Commandments. Okay. 
And then they say, preach the cross. Preach the cross. I can hear one of them. It kind of went like this. Preach the cross. I like that sound. Preach the cross. (laughs) Preach the cross. You see, without the cross, a lot of sermon series are nothing more than self-help talks. Do you understand that? I don't want help from myself. I didn't come here for that. I can turn on a TED Talk and get that. I want help from God. With all my heart, I believe that only God can remove these lids. And he does so through the cross. Through the cross. So in this series, I'm not going to give you some trick that's going to help you not be afraid. I'm not going to give you some clever thing to overcome your spiritual leaders, or spiritual laziness, rather. I'm not going to give you some trick that will help you get rid of the lids that you're dealing with. I don't have that. Nobody has that. In this series, I'm going to bid you to come to the cross. That's what I'm going to do. Because the cross is a place of surrender. Jesus willingly went to the cross, and he suffered there. And he bids us to come to the cross. He said in Matthew 26, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's not some trick. It's not some clever system. It's not some new kind of resolution that's going to get rid of your lids. It is the cross because the cross is a place of power. Listen to the language that the Bible uses when it speaks about that which was accomplished on the cross of Christ. I'm going to be reading from Colossians chapter 2. You don't need to go there. I'm only going to read three verses. Listen, though, as I read it. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the what? Cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the what? What? Go ahead, guess. You know what it is. The cross. The cross. You see, through the cross, God changed your eternal destiny. Through the cross, God disarmed your accuser. Through the cross, God made possible your redemption. And through the cross, God can remove your lids. The cross is a place of power. It is a place of victory. It is where Jesus purchased the victory for you. And when you go to the cross and surrender, you find victory. In fact, the greatest victories that you will ever experience in your walk with God will come at the foot of the cross. Guaranteed. They will come nowhere else. They always come at the cross. So here we are on this first Sunday of a brand new year. And here we are on the first Sunday of a month. And here we are on the first time we celebrate communion in 2020. And we're remembering the cross. And we're looking at a few lids. Take a look at them on the screen there. Which ones belong to you? Don't shout it out loud. (laughs) Which ones resonate with you? And if you're like every stinking one of them, okay, it's good to ear aware of that. It's good to ear aware of that. Pick a couple, though, to think about and pray about. Like, if you had to pick one or two. And if you're like, yeah, some of them resonate with me, good. Think of those. And if you're like, man, 
I don't see any of these lids in my life, but I can see them in my wife's life. Think again. Think again, okay? Think again. And as we take communion, I'm going to ask the musicians to come on up right now. As we take communion, when we're distributing the bread and the cup, that is not a time for you to be saying, oh, this takes so long. That is a time for you to be communing with God and talk to him and say, God, about that lid, I really see that. Help me discern how the cross will give me victory. Prepare my heart this morning as I take communion, communing with you, God, for what you're going to show me about these lids in the weeks that are ahead. Because I do want to keep going up the steps. I don't want to sit here on this plateau. I want to grow in my walk with you.